all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy, where the doctors are always in. This is the Wednesday version of our five-day-a-week medical program, a call-in program to try to answer any questions you may have on your mind about things medical. We promise not to have any political conversations for the next hour. This is a political conversation-free hour. We will not mention any of those things that are irritating you so much. Now, we may have something to say about the World Series. Since we have the international uh, bookie host of the World Series, our producer, Jay White. Jay, would you like to tell us who's going to win the big game tonight at the World Series? If I if I had to choose, I actually, I don't know. It's very close. Both teams are playing pretty well right now. But Lay your I'll money t- down. Lay your money down. I'll take the I'll take the Indians. Okay. To win All right. We'll see. Well, I I don't even have enough expertise to know. But Jay, as you know, has his own uh, sports program as well as dealing with us and he's usually right about things like that so this is going to be a great evening for you sports fans and even sunday on the replay i'm very very fortunate to have a guest today her name is shama mod you've heard her here before she is a mississippian who trained in medicine at university of mississippi medical center and did her fellowship in um, endocrinology and subsequently has additional experience in thyroid disease of which she is now a super super specialist and the program today is not limited to thyroid disease anything you want to talk about we will do it but we're going to we've already got a question about thyroid disease so we since we've got an expert i'm sure we'll have some special emphasis on that we're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or we'll take your emails at Southern Remedy at mpbonline dot org, and we have four, not one, not two, not three, but four lines open right now to get your question. We always fill up at the end of the program, and we already have an email, so let's go to that email, and then we'll go to your house if you give us a call. At one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Doctor Ahmad, it's great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. And this is uh, Interplanetary Thyroid Month. Is that what this is? <laughs> yes, it is Thyroid Hyperthyroidism Awareness Month. Oh, that means there must be a hypothyroidism. What's the difference between hypo and hyper? It's always confusing. So hyperthyroidism is a state in which there's too much thyroid hormone in the body as opposed to hypothyroidism when there is too little. So the thyroid is sitting there somewhere around the voice box, right? Correct. The thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland that sits in the neck, base of the neck, just under the voice box and above the collarbones. Should you be able to feel your thyroid? Normally, no. If it's normal in size, you should not. But that's an excellent question because that's what where the neck check comes in. If you feel like your thyroid is enlarged, then what you can do is take a mirror and a glass of water. And when you swallow, look up and look at your neck. And if you see a bulge coming up, that's probably your thyroid that's enlarged. Then you can get your doctor to check it out. Hey, that's fantastic. This self-exam thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's I, part I, of the thyroid awareness. I always learn stuff. I always am old, but I'm, I'm, I can still learn facts. I can't remember the facts, but I, I can learn the facts. So uh, that that's great. So the thyroid makes several different chemicals, right? Correct. What are they? The main thyroid hormone is T4. The active form of the hormone is T3. So your, your thyroid gland makes a lot of T4 
and then it goes into the body and is converted to T3, which is the active form. And this hormone is very, very important for almost all functions of the body. So that's why when you go to the doctor, they get usually three tests, the TSH, the T3, and the T4. Is that the Why? basic screening test is a TSH, what is which that? is the thyroid stimulating hormone. And that is to detect if there's a thyroid problem going on. And if the TSH is normal, most likely everything is good, unless you go on and talk about uh, problems from the pituitary gland or higher problems. All right. So we can talk about any of that. We have open lines about thyroids, about your glands or other glands too, or any topic you have at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email at a southern remedy at mpbonline.org. So here is a question from John that we just got hot off the press from Greenville. And here's the question. My doctor diagnosed me with an enlarged thyroid and has done two ultrasounds to monitor it. Can this cause any problems, that is, can the enlarged thyroid cause any problems with weight loss or have any other effects on my health? Should I see a specialist? That is an excellent question. So a goiter is an enlarged thyroid, and the thyroid can get enlarged if it is functioning too much or too little, and sometimes, even if it's functioning normally, there can be other reasons for enlargement of the thyroid. If the patient is having an enlarged thyroid along with weight loss and symptoms of nervousness, anxiety, just eyes popping out, feeling restless, inability to sleep, uh, then definitely they need to have their thyroid test checked to see if they have hyperthyroidism as the cause of the goiter. So um, what you just said is... Just because your thyroid gland is big doesn't mean it's overactive, hyperthyroidism. It could even be underactive, Correct. hypothyroidism, or you could have a cancer in it, right? Now, usually yes. when it's what, – what is the deal about thyroid cancer? They're usually, if you catch them, are usually pretty easy to deal with, right? Yes, and in the, this day and age with the uh, as much imaging as we have – we are starting to catch thyroid cancer a lot earlier than we did in the past. Um, if we do find thyroid cancer, um, most of the times it's very easily treated. The survival rate is close to 95%. Praise God. So uh, th- we're talking about all things considered today, and we have a special guest. Her name is Shema Ahmad. She is a thyroidologist. And uh, we'll take your call about thyroids or any other glands or any other problems you have today at one eight seven seven mpb ring So to complete the response to his question, uh, his thyroid's enlarged, and he's wondering whether anything uh, more needs to be done than his fault with ultrasound. And it sounds like his weight's stable. He's not having any symptoms. So is there a risk of getting cancer in a goiter, a, a too-fat thyroid, if you just watch it? So uh, there are two main concerns when somebody has a goiter. One is do they have a multinodular goiter, which means enlargement due to nodules inside, which are little growths inside the thyroid. And those growths can be cancerous or they can go on and develop cancer over a long time. The second concern is, is the large thyroid or the goiter causing compression symptoms, which means is it causing difficulty swallowing or pushing the windpipe to one side? And in that case, of course, it needs to be surgically removed. And that's why it's monitored closely. So so what percentage of people with goiters end up having to have them out? Do you have a ballpark? Is it half or what? No, no, not half. So it's usually you keep it. Yeah, usually we try and keep it as long as we can unless they start having swallowing problems. All right. All right. I hope that helped our uh, Greenville uh, John from Greenville. If not, John, send us another email and we will send you a patient information sheet. It's all things considered, but we have a thyroid specialist if you're interested in that topic. And let's go to Meridian and Thad. Hey, Thad. Good morning, Thad. Yes. Hey, Thad. Uh, I had a uh, ultrasound down on my thyroid area. Yeah. And uh, they found some nodules. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a couple of them was about four centimeters. But uh, I was trying to see which is the best doctor to go to first 
because that was a general practitioner, and uh, and, and and to see with your ear, nose, and throat, uh, a surgeon. Uh, well, what should be my course on this? And that is a, that is always a big question. Why did you have the ultrasound in the first place? He found a lump in your neck, or what? No, I, I felt a little sharp pain. Mm-hmm. That lasts momentarily. It didn't last long, but I felt a little sharp pain. Mm-hmm. And I went to check it out. All right. We will get an expert answer. So you mentioned that the nodule is four centimeters in size. That's a very large nodule. Um, the first thing to be done is to make sure that this is not a cancerous nodule. So have a biopsy, what we call a fine needle aspiration biopsy, in which they put a needle in, they take out a little bit of cells out of it to make sure there's no cancer. It's involved. a little bitty, teeny, teeny weeny. It's needle, a right? very teeny, tiny needle. And it, you hardly feel it most of the time, right? Well, not much. You know, it's just, I usually use a numbing spray. You're talking to a guy here who, <laughs> you know, guys are sissies about pain. No including guy has me. cried on my table okay. yet. Okay, so just tell them what you, so, this is so important. Tell them what you do when you do a needle biopsy. So when we do a needle biopsy, we make you lay down, we clean up your neck, and then we take a very thin needle and we put it inside that nodule. It's all ultrasound guided so that we know exactly where we are going. We take out about five to six different samples out of that nodule and then send it to pathology where they can look at it and look if and see if there are any cancerous cells. Yeah, so if you want to know if something's abnormal, you got to get a piece of it and look at right. it. Right, there's no other way. Right, so he needs to go to see somebody who would do those biopsies, and that's yes. either going to be a thyroid specialist or a, a radiologist, I guess, huh? Or ENT, as he mentioned. Ear, huh? nose, and throat doctors do their own biopsies, too. It could be an endocrinologist, or uh, they could. his regular doctor could refer him to a radiologist in the hospital where this procedure can be arranged. But uh, in my opinion, that's the next step. Yeah, very good. So uh, off the record, I'm not pushing any any choice here. But I would make sure that the person doing this does a lot of them, okay? Anytime you have a procedure done, you want to make sure this is something that is regularly done by that person. So I hope that helps you, Thad. And don't panic. Uh, statistically. Yeah, only 5% of nodules turn out to be cancer. So if you have 20 people with nodules, 19 out of 20 of those nodules will be fine. Only 5% chance of having cancer in that nodule. So I wouldn't be scared, but I would get it checked out. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring, waiting for your questions on any topic, and we have a special guest today who is a thyroidologist. Let's go to one of the greatest places in the world, Dolphin Island, Alabama, and talk to Rena. Hey, Rena, how's the weather down there today? Hot. <laughs> yeah, it's is this forty two days of no rain in Mobile? Some That's ungodly correct, number. I just returned from Colorado. Uh huh. Six months. And I'm shocked how hot it is. Yeah, and everything's drying up up there, too, yeah. Yes. I think it's a communist plot, but I haven't uh, told anybody yet. What's Uh, your question? My my question is, I have to turn the radio down, right? We we can hear you fine. Because I have an echo. Um, I had a metallurgy carcinoma Mm -hmm. 18 years ago. I'm still alive. My endocrinologist told me I get 11 good years. <laughs> and um, the last four, three or four years, maybe four years, I barely can sleep anymore. I fall asleep for three hours and then I'm up five hours. And I hate to take Ambien, mm-hmm. you know. So do you connect that with your thyroid problem? Well, I heard that that leads, and when I go to my endocrinologist, a nice doctor, I haven't been to him in a year, I see always sleeplessness and constipation and three main things. I don't know if that's correct. Okay, that is, Raina, you couldn't, if I had written your question, it wouldn't have been a better one. So let's give her a chance to respond because I learned from what she says too, but you've asked some really pertinent questions. So first of all, medullary carcinoma is a very different booger boo than the other ones, right? It is, and it's extremely rare. 
Yeah. So, and it's associated with other problems as well. It can be if it runs in the family or it's associated with certain what we call MEN syndromes, but it can be sporadic too. So you can be the only family member having it too. And now you you can do genetic studies actually on those biopsies, right? Correct, we can. So that, that helps sort that out when somebody has this now. They weren't it previously does, available. It does, and we're more aware of it. We're catching it early. Um, you know, Screening is much better. Detection mm. is much better. And overall survival has improved. Um, to answer your question about uh, not being able to sleep, what time of the day do you take your thyroid medicine? In what? the morning. In the morning. Okay. Yes. So that is great because a lot of people who take it at night have some problems sleeping after that. Uh-huh. The second thing would be you mentioned you haven't been back to your endocrinologist for a whole year. A lot of times as you age or if you gain weight or lose weight, your thyroid requirement can change. So um, has there been any weight fluctuation? No, I'm 135 all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first thing to do to see if this is indeed related to your sleeping problems is mm-hmm. to have your endocrinologist check the TSH with the free T4 to check if this dose is right. Sometimes if the dose is too much, it'll cause sleeplessness or anxiety. He corrected that from 100 to 80. Okay, so he did feel that the dose was a little bit too high yes. and he did decrease. Did a you ever ago. go back for repeat blood work after you decreased that dose? Oh, yes, he always does. Uh-huh. So did he establish that the dose that you're on now is the right dose? Yes, I went to Colorado and he said for the next three months to have a blood test and see a doctor there. And it was correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, if your thyroid dose is correct, I would not blame the thyroid okay. medicine for the sleeplessness. It sounds like you're having some anxiety issues. That That's a classic thing where you go to sleep and then suddenly you wake up. Um, you know, it could be related to some of the other medicines that you might be taking, but talk to your regular doctor about this and they might be able to sort out whether you need an anxiety medicine, whether it's related to some other medication. If the thyroid dose is right, I doubt that it's causing the sleeplessness. Right. And there's some very good sleep labs uh, in the Mobile area that can, can are available if that can't be, get sorted out with your primary care doctor. So you've got a lot of resources, Rena and Thank you, and I'm glad you're back in Alabama, and I hope you don't go back to Colorado. They're selling stuff over there that's not good for you. Uh, You're listening to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. We're taking all your questions about whatever you want to talk about today, and we have a thyroid specialist here to help us on anything else. Let's go to Jim in Gaucher. Hey, Jim. Hey. What's happening? Oh, not much. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing pretty good. We're doing better since you called. We appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, my wife was diagnosed with thyroid cancer about a year and a half, two years ago. Thyroid removed, and I believe it was papillary thyroid cancer follicular variant. Okay. And since then, the blood work, the thyroid globulin has been highly elevated up in the hundreds. But the whole body scan and PET scan show negative, and we just don't know, you know, what, what's the next step in that. Okay, well, hold on the line. This is very, very complicated, and we have to make sure our listeners understand what your dilemma is, or they they won't get what you're talking about. So she's had thyroid cancer, mm-hmm. and there are certain things you follow after you take out the cancer, right? Right. One of the screening tests that we have after the patient has had surgery for thyroid cancer is a thyroid cancer marker called thyroglobulin because thyroid is the only organ in the body that produces thyroglobulin. So if we have taken the thyroid out, there should be no thyroglobulin in the system. So that's a great screening test. If we suddenly start seeing elevated thyroglobulin, then there's something there, whether it's recurrence uh, that's causing high thyroglobulins. However, having said this, it is important to note that some people might have positive thyroglobulin antibodies, especially women. And if that is the case, the thyroglobulin does not uh, is not a good marker then solely to follow for thyroid cancer. And a lot of times in women, that's the problem we encounter is if they have positive antibodies, we can have a falsely elevated or a falsely low thyroglobulin. 
Um, and so they need other ways to detect recurrence, which would be ultrasound imaging of the neck. Um, PET scan. PET scans, of course. And um, you mentioned a whole body scan, too. Did your wife get radiated, too? Excuse me. Did, you, did your wife get radiation to her neck? Uh, yeah, uh, no radiation. No, uh, she did the uh, radioactive iodine treatment, yes. Okay. Okay, so she did the treatment. And um, is she being followed by a specialist right now? Yes. Okay. So what they probably have to do now is to, first of all, determine if the high thyroglobulin is indeed high, and it's not high because of the interference from the antibodies. And number two, to see if that's indeed the case where it's coming from. They could, like Dr. DeShazo said, he could repeat a whole body scan. They could do CT scans or ultrasounds of the neck to kind of see what's going on. Right. So if they gave her radio iodine, I presume that would light up any place there was. So the first time they give radio iodine after the surgery is to kill any remainder tiny tissue that's left in the neck. Obviously, you can't get the entire thyroid out 100%, right? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the point of the first radiation is to kill everything. But you usually go back about a year later uh, with a little dose of iodine to see if there's any viable tissue there that's going to pick up iodine. And if so, they can always give another dose of radiation. Mm-hmm. And that would be important to see at this point is to to go back and repeat that whole body scan and see if there's anything lighting up. And if it is indeed picking up more iodine, another treatment would help. Okay, Jim. So here's to summarize the points. And I think she's hit every, th- every button. <coughs> Just because that level is up doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from a cancer, A. B, uh you need to ask the doctor if he has checked her antithyroglobulin antibody because if she has one, it may be partially responsible for what you're seeing or totally responsible. Number three, uh, you need to uh, ask him what his plans are for continuing to follow her. And if, you, you're not, um, if you're not pleased with the explanation or you don't understand it, you need to ask for another opinion. That is the way to handle this. If you can't, if you can't feel comfortable, just get him to refer you to another specialist for a second opinion. Any good doctor is not going to be offended by that. So that will get you where you want to go. And we appreciate your call. And uh, that's that's I think what you need. Thank you for your call. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with Dr. Shama Ahmad. It's all things considered. Uh, Dr. Ahmad is a thyroid specialist, and I'll do anything that's left over. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Patsy in New York. Hey, Patsy. Hey, Patsy. Oh, wonderful! Yes. York is um, a very interesting town. Oh, uh, I have this thing on my finger. Okay. It's a little, it's a little bump. It's a little blister thing. Uh huh. And I just want to stick a needle in it and drain it. But how long has it been there? I know it's some sort of cyst. And how, how long has it been there? And somebody told me to put duct tape on it. How long has it been there? About two months, maybe three months. Probably. Uh, has it got fluid in it? Yes. Uh huh. Are you a rose gardener? Yes. Okay, there you go. All right, so uh, it, there's, there is a problem with fellow rose gardeners who are constantly getting thorns stuck primarily in their thumbs uh, and also in their index finger because when we dehead the rose bushes to keep them blooming, we're always pulling off the blooms, uh, we will frequently get a thorn that we're not aware of. So the big question is, uh, do you have a foreign body in there? Under no circumstances should you ever stick a needle or try to drain anything on your hands. Those, because everybody now carries staff in their nose, and the hands are constructed in such a way that if you get a skin infection, it can go straight up your finger into your uh, forehand and into your blood. So you don't want to be doing that. 
uh, you need to go to a primary care person, a primary care nurse practitioner, a primary care doctor, and let them take a, a dermatologist and let them take a look at that. And uh, they may want to get an x-ray on it to see if they can see anything in it. They may want to open it or they may want to leave it alone, depending uh, what the diagnosis is. There's a condition called dyshydrosis in which you have little blisters at the end of your fingers, and that could be it. But my recommendation to you, Patsy, is don't fiddle around with this. We are seeing all kinds of really severe uh, skin infections and complications of that because of all the staph we're carrying on our nose, and it doesn't respond to antibiotics because we doctors have used too many antibiotics, and now the staph is just mean as a snake. So that would be my recommendation, and we appreciate your call. We're going to take a very brief break. We're going to go to Poplarville, Brandon, and Mobile, and we'll go to your house. It's Southern Remedy with a special guest, Dr. Shane Ahmad, an endocrinologist. We'll take in calls on anything, including blisters on your fingers or rose-related diseases. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll be right back to take your email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to your non-political, non-politician hour on Southern Remedy, your doctor call-in show that we have daily at uh, 11 o'clock. And we pre- repeat on Sunday mornings early around 6. So welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and we're just taking whatever whatever questions are on your mind. And we appreciate you listening to our program, and we hope that we're helping you sort of navigate through some of these complex uh, medical issues. I brought up a friend, Dr. Shema Maud, who is really a terrific thyroid specialist because we've been getting so many thyroid questions and I thought it was time to sort this out again and she's helping me today but if you have other questions we'll take those too we're fixing to go to Poplarville, Brandon, Olive Branch and Mobile and let's take this email because I'm sure our listener has been waiting on that what what is that? So uh, this is the email. In the 1980s, I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and treated with radioactive iodine. Sounds like the treatment went well. And uh, he has hypothyroidism now and is on 75 micrograms off levothyroxine. So that's hypo-low-thyroid, and he's having to take thyroid supplement, which is, there's a bunch of them, but most of them are synthroid, right? Correct. And levothyroxine is the generic form of T4. And the patient says, I'm 67 now, and I get a TSH run every year, but I don't think they run a T3 or T4 as well. Should I request that these two tests be run as well? That's a good question. It is an excellent question. Because doctors don't know, that aren't endocrinologists, don't know when to run what. I'll just tell you that. (laughs) Well, I I tell you this. For somebody, it sounds like uh, this patient is, is controlled hypothyroid, so had the radiation treatment uh, with one pill and became hypothyroid and is now on a stable thyroid dose that requires just a TSH every year. Most of the times, a TSH is all that we require for adjusting the thyroid medication. Okay, people don't understand that the TSH comes from the brain and the T3 and T4 come from the thyroid or the pill. And so they, they don't know why you would why a TSH is so informative. Right. The TSH is the important test there because if you're not getting enough levothyroxine, your TSH would go up, and that would indicate that we need to increase the dose. Conversely, if you're taking too much levothyroxine, that test would go down. It would be very, very low. So by getting a TSH, your doctor can establish what's going on. If it's within normal range, 
that means that your thyroid dose, replacement dose, is actually fine. Now, braggadocio endocrinologist and thyroidologist, which uh, Dr. Ahmad is not one of them, use this TH, TSH deal to uh, let everybody know that the thyroid is the most important organ in the body because it, 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 has a, it is so important that the brain has a circuit to follow how well it's behaving. And it contr- it actually controls the thyroid through this TSH released from your brain, right? I mean, it's pretty it amazing does, stuff. It does. It does. And so the, the, the thyroid hormone is produced within the thyroid gland, but that is controlled by a higher center, which is the pituitary gland. That is controlled by a higher center, which is the hypothalamus. So actually, a lot of endocrine systems have this circuit of hierarchy in which if there's something low, the message goes up. And uh, the hormones that are being produced from the higher centers change accordingly. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. That's it's why a I check love and balance. It's a, it's a computer network in there. Everything's talking to everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're going to we'll go back to our calls and let's go to our next call. Which one is that, Jay? We got Angie in Poplarville. All right. Hey, Angie. Hi. What's happening? I have a question about um, Hashimoto's disease. Show. Is it is it the same thing as hypothyroidism? Okay. And then I have a second question is, what is it about warts and seeds, or seeds of warts? Warts and seeds, okay. That's totally two different topics, but... That's good. That's what we're here for. That's why they pay us all this money to sit up here. Will I have to take the levothyroxine? Will I have to take that for the rest of my life? Okay, we got you. We got you. Be careful. So let's do the thyroid. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is the name given to an autoimmune thyroid condition in which your own body produces antibodies against the thyroid and destroyed it completely. Uh, It's one of the most common causes of hypothyroidism. So you do have hypothyroidism, and the reason behind it is those antibodies that your body produced, and it often runs in families. Does that mean there's something wrong with you? That your immune system is screwed up or something like that? Well, it means that there's an autoimmune problem. And interestingly, if you have one autoimmune problem, there's a 25% chance that you can go on and develop another autoimmune problem in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about things like arthritis and... Correct. Rheumatoid arthritis. We're talking about celiac, Mm -hmm. autoimmune anemias. Mm -hmm. But it's very common. Autoimmune... uh, What percentage of women have... uh, It's more common in women, right? It is, definitely. So of the 30 million or so thyroid um, uh, patients in the U.S., most of them have hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism is five times as common in women as compared to men. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's you see this every day, every single day. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's the answer on that. Now, seed warts, uh, warts are virus are are uh, induced by viruses, and what happens is they get into cells and they make the cells very angry and they proliferate, trying to get rid of them, and so you end up with bumps. And they also change the way cells grow; they stimulate growth, and uh, the seed is there's no such thing as a seed. They're not seeds. They are uh <laughs> they are they are actually uh viral gross. And the best way to get with a rid of a wart, especially on your feet, is to see a dermatologist because you don't want to uh start experimenting uh, on something as important with your feet, unless it's a small one. And you can now get liquid nitrogen over the counter at the drugstore, which is that stuff that we use to burn them off, and uh, you can use that. Or there's some other irritants. You have to irritate warts to go away. Don't ever treat a wart on your face and uh, uh, and and because there's a possibility that this could cause scarring and uh and it goes away they go and come on their own they're like halloween uh kids they come with one year and next year they disappear and they come back so if you want to know more about warts just send me an email at southern remedy at mpbonline.org i have a great wart handout let's go to our next caller and that is june and brandon hey june june what's going on Hey. Hey. 
Um, I've been diagnosed with having cysts uh, in my liver. I have an enlarged, slightly enlarged liver, and I have cysts. My question is, is this serious, and do cysts turn into cancer? Okay. Cysts are not uncommon in the thyroid gland. They're usually congenital. No, no. No, no. I mean, in, I mean in the liver. I'm sorry. I misspoke. I was so tuned in on thyroid. Your your thyroid does not belong in your stomach. Okay. So so this is the liver. The liver is in your stomach, and cysts are very, very common uh, in the liver. And uh, most of them are congenital. You're born with them, and they're picked up later in life. Uh, you can get cystic like things with certain liver diseases, especially parasitic diseases. But if your liver tests are normal and your liver, uh, that's your liver enzymes, and the products of the liver, which include the coagulation factors in your blood, are normal, we don't do anything but follow those a couple of times and then stop because it's very, 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 very rare that those are associated with malignancy. So I hope that's good news to you. And we appreciate your call. We have some lines open. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Shama, and it's all things considered. Let's go to Christy and Olive Branch. Hey, Christy. Hey, Christy. Hi. How are you? We're better since you call. Olive Branch is a good place. <laughs> yes, it is. So I have hypothyroidism, and. About a year to a year and a half ago, something strange started happening, and I'm wondering if it's connected to the thyroid problem. Um, one night, in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I was very itchy. I felt like I had a sunburn. I had hives all over my body. I took a Benadryl, and it went away. But now that happens to me maybe once a quarter, maybe every other month, and it's always in the middle of the night. Could this be related to hypothyroidism? Okay, uh, let me lead on this since I'm also an allergist. One of the most common causes of chronic urticaria, which is itching and hives and redness, uh, is uh, autoimmune thyroiditis. Uh, we see this in, uh, in in our practice. The endocrinologists don't see it that much, but we see a lot of it because all the itchy people get referred to us. So there is a possibility that that could be it, but there are are a lot of other possibilities as well. And it sounds like you're having recurrent episodes of nocturnal itching, and uh, we see that if you don't have the hives with, or even if you do, in people who have contact dermatitis to detergents that they use to wash their sheets. So one of the things that we always think about with people who wake up in the middle of the night itching is, number one, bed bugs. And bed bugs are easy to exclude because all you have to do is look along along the uh, cord on your mattress and you will see them. They are visible and you see these little dark splotches. You should be doing that when you go to a hotel or motel anyway. Just pull the cover back and look on that that rim. So if you don't have bed bugs, if you don't have fleas, and right now there are several communities in Jackson that have flea infestations related to a climatic thing, and they're itching at night because their beds are full of fleas, and that's easy to look for. Uh, uh, then you might want to consider your your detergent and get one of the hypoallergic detergents. Uh, make sure that your perfumes or anything that you're putting on at night, bubble bath, doesn't have something in there that's causing a problem. And if that doesn't do it, uh, uh, the other thing is you can take a little bit of uh, Zyrtec at night, and that should block it. But if it's chronic, you're going to have to see somebody for it, and probably a dermatologist or an allergist would be the best place to start. What what about do you, do people with hypo hype with thyroid get skin rashes? Yes, they do, and often uh, we get referrals from the dermatologist or the allergist, and that's how the Hashimoto's or the hypothyroidism is diagnosed. So you do see it uh, pretty often. Yes, we do see it. Uh, hypothyroidism itself causes a lot of dryness, and skin that gets dry like that, or in somebody who already has eczema, it can get worse. And also because of the thyroid antibodies, that whole response to those high antibodies. Right. Um, in fact, sometimes people with those high antibodies, even though their thyroid function is normal, we sometimes put them on Synthroid treatment just to get those antibodies down uh, and get 
uh, their allergies under control, and it's fairly successful. So the two thyroid autoantibodies, I think, are thyroid antithyroid peroxidase and antithyroglobulin. Correct. Is it appropriate for a patient to ask the doctor if they have been checked for those, if they think they have autoimmune thyroiditis? It is perfectly appropriate to check for those and to see how high those antibody titers are and if that could be the cause of the eczema or the skin reactions. Okay, Christy, so you got some homework to do uh, to check and see if it's just dry skin. That would be one thing, and and obviously we like uh, these moisturizers at night. Uh, I always say it wrong. Cerve-UA. Cerave. Uh I'm French. I should be able to say that. Uh, Sarah V, which is the one my wife likes the best, but uh, cheaper things like Aquaphor and so forth and so on are good. And uh, because Americans bathe too much in Europe, people bathe two or three times a week. We bathe two times a day, which is abnormal. So uh, check your skin. Check for insects. Check for contact allergy and take a Zyrtec. And if that doesn't do it, you're going to have to get some help. Thank you for your call. Let's go to Marie in Mobile. Hey, Marie. You still there, Marie? Yes, I'm here. Uh, pretty dry down there, huh? Yes, it's very dry. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I, I was down there this weekend and I saw people losing trees and rose bushes and stuff. I mean, it's yes. it's really weird. It is. We have cattle, and we are already feeding hay. Oh, my goodness. That that doesn't help, does it? No, it doesn't. What's on your mind? Well, uh, about five years ago, I had um, my thyroid removed because I had nodules, and it was enlarged, and they were afraid the nodules were cancerous, but they took it out, and they weren't. But, you know, of course, I went on the Centroid. I didn't respond very well to the Centroid. I continued to be hypothyroid, brain fog, weight gain. And a friend of mine told me about bioidentical thyroid replacement, and I tried that. But some of my conventional doctors have um, talked badly against it, and I wanted to get the um, specialist's opinion about it and see what she thought. Um, My doctor that I'm using now has, in layman's terms, she labeled me as a poor converter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, convert T4 to T3 or vice right. versa. I never can't remember which way it goes. So are, the, the since big... I've been on the bioidentical, I've done well. I've lost weight. My brain fog has went away. So I'm a big proponent of it, but I would like to know really what the knock is against the bioidentical. Great, great question, and one I'm frequently asked and one I'm not totally informed on. So I'm glad that you... You ask it. Let me ask you now, uh, are you feeling well, and is your TSH normal now, or do you know? Yes. Okay, so yes. you're uh-huh. you're taking uh, a compounded uh, thyroid bioidentical thing? Correct. Where are you getting it? I get it from Family Pharmacy in Spring Hill. Okay, so they make it up in Spring Hill. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so this is a big deal, but I have a lot of people who – swear by these compounded thyroids and the the thing that bothers me is not that they're getting compounded thyroid is i never know what's in it exactly that is one of the main concerns is what is the ratio of the t4 to t3 in these compounded hormones a lot of times they have a very high amount of t3 that is supraphysiological in there which t3 goes in like a burst of energy makes patients feel great But the thing is, it can push patients into atrial fibrillation or heart rhythms that are really fast and cause problems. And long-term to osteoporosis or weak bones just because of that excess amount of thyroid hormone. Now, most people can convert T4 to T3, and and you have mentioned being a poor converter. There's, There's really no test per se to check for that, but I can tell you it's extremely rare I have never come across a patient that we were not able to settle down on T4 alone. And sometimes, you know, thyroid, the dosing is about 13 different doses for the T4. And sometimes it's just an adjustment between the doses, too. So, you know, for example, if 
150 is not enough for you, but 200 is too much, we can always find a way to give you something that would make 175 or 178 or 180. Um, we follow American Thyroid Association guidelines, and uh, as per the most recent guidelines, the replacement is suggested by the synthetic T4, okay. and which is what we follow. So, But she is fixed. Her TSH is fine. They're following. The problem is, is the next dose, the next compound she has made up, may be different. So I, I guess what you, if somebody really feels that this is what they want to need, I mean, we work for them. They don't work for us. Uh, you just follow the TSH and let them keep taking it. And, and, and part of the TSH problem here is that if you have T3 on board, you cannot really follow the TSH. Ah, so that now I get it, why when you're you so take T4, yeah. then TSH is excellent. But when you have T3 on board, you can't use the TSH. You can't use the T4. You can't use the T3. So all you have is how the patient is feeling symptomatically. Uh-huh. Can you get a T3, T4, and TSH and figure it out? You still would not be able to, like I said, because T3, the patient is already taking. If they're taking T3 and a lot of it, obviously the, the T4 would be slightly on the lower side. The TSH, the T3 does not uh, cause the TSH fluctuations there. So actually, some patients that we want to increase TSH on for special testings in thyroid, we'll put them on T3 because it doesn't affect the TSH. So now your doctor is at loss scientifically, you know, just, just to see biochemically where you are and, and has to rely on how you feel. Yeah. Marie, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Do you I'm get here. the problem? The, the reason the doctors are negative about the bioidentical compounded is there's no way to chemically, medically follow uh, your levels like they do with the other ones. So it's a guesstimate. And the potential harm is getting too much T3 and developing osteoporosis and cardiac problems and so forth. And there's just no way to fix that. Uh, but, you know, if you have a good doctor who's following you clinically, that's that's the risk-benefit ratio you you have to take and you're not a bad person because you're using it (laughs) yeah i mean compared to like how i feel now versus how i felt on centroid is night and day well i think you're i don't know if it's i think i would rather live a shorter life and feel good well i I understand exactly what you're saying and what what you need to know is you just need to be followed carefully and if you have fluttering in your chest, you need to have a bone densitometry probably earlier than you would otherwise and so forth to follow for these complications. But uh, we understand, and we work for you, and thank you for your call. Let's go to Brookhaven and talk to Miss Charlie. Hey, Miss Charlie. Hi, how are you? We're good. What's happening? Okay, quick question. Um, I have thyroid, hypothyroid in all aspects of my mother's side of the family, cousins, uncles, my brothers, myself. My oldest child was diagnosed with Hashimoto's when she was nine. She's wow. now 23. I have two other children that are younger, and they've never been tested. Is it is it something I need to do now? Good question. To, yeah. Good question. We're going to rush through these previous uh, right. these so, follow-up questions. So, so it sounds so, like autoimmune thyroid disease runs in the family. The hyperthyroidism mentioned is, is likely Graves' disease that runs in families. And yes, I would get the children tested because a lot of times the symptoms in children are very different from adults. They can have learning problems or hyperactivity. And and yes, well, so I would mention the family history to the doctor when they go on their next visit and, and have their thyroid checked. It's a simple blood work test that they can do in their office. And, and would a TSA? be adequate yes okay so one simple tsh would probably do that let's go to jim in alabama hey jim jim you there yeah you're related to big jim Folsom. that was a joke that was a joke that was a joke what's your question um my question is that i got hit in the year about eight days ago and i seem to have not uh regained uh, hearing to the full level yet, it, it seemed to get better sort of quickly. And then the past uh, four or five days, it's uh, sort of been the same. And uh, not holding any health insurance, I've been kind of hesitant to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, I didn't know if it was something that uh, was maybe time sensitive to, uh, uh, to go see a doctor. or. Okay, Jim, I got you. Uh, this breaks my heart to hear anybody uh, who needs health care and is not getting it. 
and I'm not going to get political because I said this is not a political program, uh, but, you know, that we ought to have that availability. Now, in Alabama, you have a truckload of free clinics, and you have the federally qualified health centers over there, FQHC. You can Google those that will see you uh, uh, on the basis of your income and with a, uh, very inexpensively. There are all kinds of places that you can be seen uh, with no insurance and with minimal cost. You do have to go a little further. You have to look them up, but they will see you. Yes, this needs to be looked at. Uh, you may have popped a hole in your eardrum. Uh, you may have damaged your acoustic nerve, uh, so forth. So, yeah, I would not sit on that. I would have that checked because it should have corrected if it was just a simple problem. So uh, that that's the best I can do from here. Uh, but if you need some referrals in Alabama, just send me an email, and I know some folks over there that probably can connect you with some of these services. So thanks for your call. Let's go to Donna. And uh, hey, Donna, what's going on? Well, I have a friend. Uh, I re- I know that people say that, but I really do have a friend who um, <laughs> perspires <laughs> profusely uh, when everybody else is just normal, and uh, especially from her head. And I've often said to her, uh, "Have you had your thyroid checked? Is that one of the symptoms of something wrong when when people's are way too hot and perspire all the time. We got you. Yes, it's called heat intolerance. It could be a symptom of an overactive thyroid. Uh, it could also, depending on how old your friend is, you didn't mention her age, could be from a menopausal symptoms, you know, just hot flashes from being menopausal. So, yeah, one of these two things, most likely. Well, she's a good diagnostician, isn't she? Pretty good. Ah, hey, we've had a lot of fun with you today. I'm Dr. Rick here with our special guest, thyroid specialist, Dr. Shame Ahmad. I hope we got you caught up to date on thyroid problems. We'll be back same time, same place next Wednesday at 11 for our live show. And we'll see you Sunday at 6 a.m. for a repeat. This is Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And our producer is Jay White. Have a great rest of the day. underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi.